Hello everyone and welcome back to Industry Perspectives. I'm your host Ainsley Bowden and today I'm speaking with my friend Travis Northup, who is a writer for IGN and who I met recently during our legendary Mass Effect debate. Now Travis and I talk a lot about the gaming industry coverage, how IGN handles things like game reviews and their perspective on how things should be managed in the gaming industry and what they report on. We talk about Mass Effect, of course we talk about Destiny and Fireteam Chat which is going to celebrate its 300th episode here soon, but is ending its weekly run. And of course, we talk about the legendary game and the best Elder Scrolls game, Morrowind. But we talk about all that and more. Let's get to it. All right, and we're live with Mr. Travis Northup. You know him better as Ty Guy Travis. What's happening, my friend? McClunky, how are you, my friend? <laughs> I'm doing well, doing well. <laughs> Everything good on your end? Yeah, man. Uh, doing busy with uh, IGN reviews this week. Uh, and did a, a pr- another preview that's going live this week. And then obviously we're all getting ready for E3, which uh, yeah, is going to be pretty huge. And then IGN also has its uh, summer of gaming uh, nowadays. Yes. Um, so it's just kind of like back to back to back. Uh, lots of stuff to do. So yeah, it's exciting. That's good though, right? Yeah, that's good. It gives yeah. you more opportunities to shine, I would imagine. So. Yes, especially since everybody's busy with E3, it means that uh, I have more opportunities to do like higher profile reviews that normally okay. somebody else would do. Uh, okay. You know, somebody who's a little bit more senior, but because they're busy with E3, yeah. I get to do it. <laughs> so <laughs> happy with that. <laughs> like that uh, rated 10 masterpiece we were just discussing, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, <laughs> the review they have me on now, not that one, but I have one coming up that I think is going to be a much better game. So nice. I'm excited about that. Yeah. That's cool. That's cool. So, we'll, we'll, yeah, we'll touch on. Uh... E3 and stuff here later, just because it's good timing as we record this, right? And there's a lot Absolutely. of excitement in the air. But before we do that, since you're, um, you know, we only met recently, um, really thanks to our friend Cog, who set up the uh, the classic Mass Effect debate. My and guy. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so I figured, uh, you know, where better to start than for viewers on my channel who may not be familiar with you um, to kind of go back to the beginning? Because I know uh, you're not an old guy like me, per se. Um, but you know, uh, I'd love to hear where you got started in gaming, um, when that was kind of what system console game really got into you or just, you know, how you originated into this awesome hobby that we all know and love. Yeah. I think you and I actually have a lot in common in terms of where we started. My first console was the Atari 2600. Oh, well then, uh, yeah, you don't, then you, let me say it this way. You don't look as old as me. Which yeah, is no. <laughs> so I'm, I'm not, I'm not as old as you. My grandpa was the, was the, uh, like old old nerdy grandfather and okay. he had like all these old consoles that he would program for just because he was just wow. such a, a geek awesome. yeah he was awesome and so as i as a uh, a small child he was just like play this game or you know he would like try to program really simple ones and let me play them and uh i was just like this is great like i get to be the main character in the story why wouldn't i want to <laughs> do this and so right. uh yeah you know i, th- I think uh my first few consoles were like um you know, the Super Nintendo, and uh, I think I had the original Nintendo, but I was probably way too small for that, and I had okay. the Sega Genesis and that, and then uh, I've just been gaming ever since, and I think, uh, I, you know, every console, I've, I've, you know, I was a poor kid, so I didn't really get to own many of the consoles, but I always had friends uh, sure. that I would just go over to their house, even if I didn't like them, just pretend you like them, you know, so you can <laughs> play their games. Uh, yeah, and, and you know, Nintendo was a huge influence when I was younger, and then when yeah. the Xbox, uh, original Xbox came out, I became like a, 
diehard Xbox player just because of Halo. Sure. Um, yeah, and, and that's sort of my story. So I, I've been addicted since I was like two years old to video okay. games. Like it's all I wanted to do. So yeah, I, I, learned, I, le- I learned that you were into the 2600 and I was like, that's my, like that was my, I still have one in my closet. It's it's my grandpa's uh, old model. So I love that's that awesome. Console. That's what I was going to say is it's, it's, I love hearing stories of people who, um, regardless of what generation you started in gaming, right? Who had that parent or that grandparent or that uncle or whoever got you into gaming and just kind of introduced you to some of the classics. Cause Atari 2600 obviously wasn't your era, um, no. but you just got introduced to it through that vehicle, which is awesome because for people like me, um, that was my first system. I was, you know, again, that's late 70s. So it's even a little early for me, but it's just like you said, the introduction of being able to control something on a screen was just mind-blowing to me always has been yeah um, and I, I think it's actually great that i that 2600 was my first console because i feel like it made me appreciate simpler games and yeah. you know if, if i was a part of this generation the more recent generation where their first games were like mobile games like fortnite where you can do these amazing things on the phone i might not be able to play like a really janky looking indie game and <laughs> and you know with, without feeling like a little bit of like uh you know, a little upset because, because it wasn't to the, what I was used to. Yeah. Um, and since the 2600 was my first, then when I went and played the N64, I was like, wow, this is like a whole different <laughs> level, you know, but I can still go back and play uh, like a really low budget indie game and kind of appreciate it for what it is. Um, sure. And I, I, I feel privileged at to be able to say that because I know there are people that are my age that would look at a, an indie game like that and just be like, I can't deal with this. Like it's just the graphics aren't there or whatever. And I'm just like, what are you talking about? Like it's, it's classic. It's yeah. uh it's a callback. Why wouldn't you, why wouldn't you want that? So yeah, no, that, that is, that is great. Um, and I've tried to do that with uh, my youngest son is uh, he's only 15 now. So, I mean, he was younger. Um, but I, you know, when he was like in his seven, eight, nine years old, I introduced him to Super Nintendo games and Genesis games and tried to build that foundation. It's hard because, as you said, yeah. nowadays with phone games and instant access to everything, it's just like they have this expectation that's way up here. They don't have that context of what I can't uh, even imagine being a kid right now. Can you imagine? It's, it's unreal like having like game pass. Like I, I dude, I would have lost my mind if you could have told me that for $10 a month, I would have access to like hundreds of games every yeah. month. Like and that new would've... ones all the time. Yeah. I would never leave my room. Like it's so <laughs> my crazy. My son does not ever leave his room. So <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but like it was, for me, it was like scrappy. I was out in the streets running grifts to afford, you know, a, a, a five day rental at blockbuster video, you know, any, anything it was, Trust uh, you know, like Ed, Ed and Eddie, that old cartoon where they're trying to get jawbreakers. It was like that for uh, <laughs> for video games. That was like my my childhood. Uh, so I can't even imagine what it's like to just oh, there's a million free games on your on your phone. I didn't even have a phone when I was a kid. I mean, no. my well, I mean, my yeah. my friends did, but not me. I won't even talk about the technology we were using when I was that age. But <laughs> <laughs> one of those briefcase of. phones with the <laughs> antenna. Oh, <laughs> uh, that was when I was a teenager, maybe or late. Really? Wow, yeah. you've yeah. aged well then. <laughs> you, I, I thought you might be thirty or something. Yeah, come on now. Now you're just being flattering. No, I'm going to be forty-three this year. So wow. I, uh, I, yeah, I grew up with Atari Twenty Six Hundred in the early '80s as a young kid, and and you know, Cog and I joked about this a lot because we're very similar era, very similar background, and you know, going back those days, what you would do, right, is you kind of touched on it, where it's okay, who has what system, who has what game, 
And how do we figure out as a group of friends to get to their house so we can play it, right? And sometimes they weren't within biking. Biking distance was the thing back then, right? <laughs> that was the, the measurement. That yeah. was the measurement. Could I bike to his house? Or was I allowed to bike to his house? And if you couldn't, you would try to organize at school so that you could ride home on the same bus. So you could be like, oh, I really want to play Mario. I got to go to Dave's house, but could my mom pick me up? So let me see if I can ride the bus to his house, all just to play one game, right? Um, so that today is, as you just said, like I look at my son and this is a true story. He came to me the other night because he was playing Knockout City. Okay. Great game. Fantastic. It's, it's fantastic. fantastic. Game. I'm addicted to it right now. Uh, we are too. A bunch of my friends are. It's crazy. Um, it's like, it feels like a new Rocket League to me. It's got that kind really of just competitive, you know, grabs you. But anyway, he comes to me and he's like, he has Game Pass Ultimate because I'm fortunate enough to have gone to E3 and I've got years of Game Pass saved up, right? So I just loaded him up. <clears throat> but he forgets to check it. He plays on PC now with his friends. So he's playing Knockout City, the trial on Steam and says, I have to download Origin. So he downloads Origin. He hasn't talked to me at this point yet. Downloads Origin, tries to launch that. He gets some EA desktop problem, right? Comes oh downstairs to me. Dad, I got a problem. Can't run the game. EA desktop issue. I was like, what are you trying to play? Knockout City. I was like, you have Game Pass. Download the full game for free and just go play it and stop. He has bought three games that are on Game Pass that he didn't check were on oh. Game Pass. Three games he's bought now. And I'm like, these kids just... There's so much at their disposal, right? There's so many games that they have. They don't even think about the fact that they have 300 games over here and another 100 over here, and there's 5 million yeah. free-to-play games. You know, it's just it's crazy. No, I would have been strategizing over how to, like, min-max my dollar versus right. how many games I get to play, and he's out no here doubt. buying multiple copies. That's uh, no doubt the power move. He's, his generation is lucky, right? It's so. He has no idea. I think, I don't know about you, but I, I think that's, uh, this is a completely separate conversation now, but when I see people that a, a new game will launch, a uh, big game, right? Say it's some big game, long time coming, and it has some bugs. And I'm not talking about you can't play it, you know, but just some bugs, some weird things. And the Bethesda I see people, life. Say it again? Bethesda life. But the, exactly. Games, perfect yeah. example, right? But I see people really get upset. You know what I mean? Like really like, oh, game's broken. It's buggy. I can't play this, you know, and just really go off. And to me, I'm like, it, it barely bother, bothers me at all. You know, I just kind of enjoy what's there because it, it's still so monumental to me what's being delivered that a few bugs just they don't ruin my experience. I don't know about you or anyone else, but yeah, I, I'm kind of the same way. Like I'm I obviously as a reviewer, you have to take it into account sure. if it has bugs. But like the question is, does the do the bugs make you not want to play the game? Do the yeah, bugs exactly. ruin the experience? And for me, if it's something cheeky like a bethesda bug where some you know <laughs> characters like walking into a wall or whatever it's like all right that's kind of just funny but uh yeah you know yeah. The, ga the game i just got done reviewing for ign has lots of bugs and they are like the not fun kind where you like, right. lose progress or crash to your dashboard and that's you know but i guess to answer your question like i i kind of like games that are a little <laughs> unpolished you know that have a little bit of like work that needs to be doing because that's the fun right like we, we talked about this on uh on the show with cog, but like elder scrolls, Morrowind is my favorite elder scrolls game. And that yes, game, mine too. It, yeah. And that game is sort of just like, let's put as much as we can into this game and not yeah. worry about like polish or it, uh, you know, being like 
easily navigable as a player like that game you have to like read online how to do basic stuff in the game and, sure. and i think that's like that's something that um i'll always personally like uh, but i think the tolerance for it in like the general public has gone down because games are just you know they're more intuitive they're more accessible and yep. nothing wrong with that but there i think there should still be a place for like clunkier games um, <laughs> i certainly like them yeah yeah again i think it just speaks to the error right that's kind of the yeah. The thing there. Um, <clears throat> but anyway, so I have to ask you because I don't know the answer to this question. Mm-hmm. Um, Thai guy, where did it? Originate? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I guess I, because I wear ties all the time. I don't know. Uh, so the, the way I got into the games industry is yeah. uh, I worked for IGN's parent company for eight years okay. and I shared an, I shared an office with all the IGN people, but I was not writing for them. I wasn't even doing anything creative. I was a, I was a suit. I was like on the corporate uh, oh, okay. side of things for years. Um, actually, the day I got hired was the day that uh, the the parent company, which was called Ziff Davis. Yeah. Um, yeah. The, the day I got hired was the day that they acquired IGN just by pure coincidence. Wow. Uh, and they were like, we're moving into the IGN office. You guys are going to be in that. And if, if you've ever, I don't know if you've been out this way, but the IGN office is amazing. It's basically like a, a uh, a theme park for for gamers like mm-hmm. all, all the conference- in San- bay area in san francisco yeah, yeah i'm in san okay. francisco right now that's where i live yeah. uh and uh like the conference <laughs> rooms are all based off of different video games like mm-hmm. they've got mushroom kingdom which has like coins hanging from the sky and it's got like <laughs> the red bricks and the the clouds in the background awesome. and uh they've got one that's like a left for dead uh safe room where you know the doors barred up and there's sure, sure. all over the walls and <laughs> Uh, a portal room. They've got uh, Thieves Landing, which is like based off of the Red Dead Redemption Saloon. It's like an all Western okay. bar theme. That's awesome. Uh, Vault 101, which you can guess what that is. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, all these conference rooms. So I moved into there and I was just like, this is amazing. I'm a lifelong gamer. At yeah. the time, I was writing uh, reviews freelance for like small indie outlets, just like okay. getting started, right? Yeah. Um, and I worked there for eight years and uh, the entire time I was there, people were kind of just like, wow, this like suit guy, he like gets in a lot of our video game conversations. <laughs> I would talk to, uh, the fire team chat crew right yeah, before yeah. they would go and record every week. I'd be like, they're going like, yeah, like, did you know this thing about destiny? And they were like, who's this guy? <laughs> just like <laughs> knows a lot about video games. And then, uh, somebody suggested that I write for IGN. They were like, you should just write for us. Like you're already doing it. You've been writing for like six years. Like, why don't you just write for us? And so, I asked them if I could and they said, no, cause you have a full day job here. Uh, and so I quit my job and I went to go write for IGN. Um, and, and kind of the suit came with me, I guess is the story. People had, people had called me tie guy up until that point. My gamer tag on Xbox is tie guy Travis. And so okay. I was just like, all right, I guess that's my brand. I mean, all I own is suits. I'm basically like uh, Barney Stinson from How I Met Your Mother. Like that's all I that's all I have. So I was just like, all right, that's, that works for me. I, I I never wear anything but suits. So tie guy it is. That's hilarious, man. So you just enjoy wearing them. It's the matter. I of do. Time. I really do. Yeah, I, yeah, it's just what I'm comfortable in. I I always thought like you know James Bond or or whoever was cool when I was a kid, and I was like, man, as a poor guy who couldn't afford all, sure. all my clothes were hand me downs. I have I have five brothers, and so like. Uh, you know, and, and it was, it was just like, you know, I wish I could wear a suit. And then as soon as I had money to afford my own clothes, I was like, yeah, I'm going to wear a suit. I want to be like James Bond. Let's do it. So <laughs> I don't know. It's just what I wear. 
Yeah, that's that's fantastic, man. Yeah, I didn't know the background because, as I said, we've only talked that, that handful of times. So um, that's yeah. that's funny. But that's an interesting story about because that was really going to be my next question. So you kind of led into it already was really around creating content, um, mm -hmm. because obviously you have the passion for gaming, uh, obviously writing for IGN. I mean, IGN, if I'm I'm pretty sure in saying they're pretty much the biggest gaming outlet in the world. Right. I mean, they, they are just, matter of fact, million daily readers. So. Yeah, season gaming's not quite there, but you know, we're getting there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 50 million daily. Good God. Um, yeah. that's hilarious. Uh, I can't even like fathom those kind of numbers. That's amazing. Yeah, it's it's actually really wild and humbling, but it's also, I mean, they're owned by a massive corporation and they also have like six of the seven continents have you know IGN, no, you no. Know, UK, IGN, Israel. There's all these different like, you know, outlets everywhere. Africa has uh, IGN outlets now. So yeah, that's um, amazing. Yeah. It's I was, sort of, uh, like a huge operation. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's crazy. I actually, uh, I don't know if it's 2018 or 2019 at E3, but I ran just walking around the corner. I ran into pair, uh, Schneider. Awesome. And I, yeah. And I just, I ran into him and I knew who he was. Of course he didn't know who I was. And I was just like, Oh, Hey pair, you know, pleasure to meet. He's super nice. Um, and we just chatted for a few minutes and, uh, yeah, he's a super nice guy. So I think I have a picture from E3 standing there with him talking to him. Um, yeah, he was with Terry cool Schwartz guy. and um, Terry, yeah, who I think left IGN now, if I'm correct. Um, yeah, I believe that is right. Uh, yeah, I don't know where they are. Yeah, and someone else uh, I can't remember now, but yeah. Anyway, um, but that's I've really had like I've had like 50 conversations with Pear, and I still don't think he knows who I am because <laughs> I didn't. Uh, <laughs> I didn't. I did. He just. He, I think everybody at the office just knew I was a guy who wore the suit, but because uh, it's unusual in California, in San Francisco, especially oh, like, yeah, no one sure. wears suits. So I was like the, the CEO of the company wasn't wearing a suit sure. like I was. So uh, I think everybody just like knew me as that, but I've had a ton of conversations with him. It's <laughs> super cool. Don't think he knows that I write for IGN, but you know, whatever. <laughs> He's still a cool guy. I can only imagine the types of things he has on his mind on a daily basis. So. Exactly. Yeah. I'm yeah. not like, I'm not even worried about it, but he's, he's very <laughs> cool. He plays all the games. He'll like come in. You know, I just remember like he would walk into the back when we were going to the office, which, sure. you know, unfortunate, uh, you know, he would just come into the kitchen and just be like, what are you guys playing? And he would talk about what he was playing and just a super nice guy. So that's cool. It's, it's, it's crazy to think that he started a gaming site that's as big and, and, you know, dominant and global as it is i think it's like in 16 different languages our, our articles are syndicated and stuff like that yeah, that's kind of crazy yeah it really is it really is um yeah so <clears throat> i don't know if you know but i was actually born in san francisco um, oh and so i am natively from california and i haven't been back i've been to california i haven't been back to the bay area in a long time but i it, they used to do like once a month, didn't they? Used to do like tours of the IGN office. You could just yes, it actually moved pandemic, to, of course. Yeah, before the pandemic, they used to do like I think it was the first Friday of every month. They would yeah. come and do tours, and they would you know you would have people who were hoping to one day work in like sure. you know games industry or or whatever, and then some people that were just super fans that would come every single month and <laughs> uh, dress up like anime characters. We had the, like this one guy who would always dress up like a Naruto character and he okay. would come every single month. Just just loved to to be welcomed and and talk to people and do the Q and A. But yeah, yeah, I was always on the periphery when that happened. I got hired uh, to write for IGN like right before the pandemic i think it was like mm. four or five months uh before okay. 
But so I had been in that office all that time, not as IGN. And then as soon as I got on the IGN team and started making friends with like Tom Marks and Dan Stapleton and some of those people, uh, it was like gone. (laughs) It really, really was just poor timing on my part, but it's cool. I I still have a a lot of like Destin Legary and I are super close. James Duggan, I'll always consider like a friend. So uh, I've still got buddies there, but I, I'm one of those people who's like bemoaning the loss of offices. Like I loved going into the office and interacting with people. Cause I think, you know, I don't leave the house otherwise, you know, it's, yeah. it's just like an excuse to get out and interact with people. So uh, nobody else cares. Everybody's like, no office. That's awesome. And I'm like, over here, like guys, I miss you all. So yeah, yeah it is a, uh, that's a weird part of daily life. In fact, no joke. I just got off of a call with my career job where we were talking about that right and starting to figure out how to get back to the offices mm-hmm. um and you know how many people actually want to go back and what that looks like and it's just it's a weird conversation right now yeah um, it is. but that's so cool how yeah. long were you in, in san francisco or the bay area at least <clears throat> so i've been all that's a whole nother topic i've been all over the place so i was born in san francisco but then lived mostly as a baby in england uh all oh, my family whoa. is english um, in fact, anyone except my direct family, my mom, dad, brother, sister, or anyone else of my family, all my extended family are still in England. No one's here. Um, so then came back to California, then to the East Coast, lived in Pennsylvania and Delaware. Um, and then my parents split and I would live on the East Coast uh, some of the year and some of the year out in California, Nevada. After Wow. That. So and I've lived in Seattle. I, I, and- I can empathize with some of that. My my parents were separated and nomadic, so I never lived <laughs> in like one place for like more than a year. So I, I get that. Uh, yeah. But that's that's wild, international. And so when you say you were you were biking to friends' houses, was that in England? Uh, no, that would be back east coast. So that would be that's Delaware, coast, Pennsylvania. Okay. Yeah, what you call the tri-state area if you're from there. So tri-state yes. area is Delaware, yeah, Pennsylvania, yeah. New Jersey. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so that, that definitely is a biking situation. Cause when you said you were born in San Francisco, I was like, well, you could bike to any friend's house in San Francisco. Right. It's a small city. As Very long as you small. got strong legs to go uphill, uh, you can, <laughs> you can go anywhere. So. Yeah. 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 Um, but yeah, I love it there. I just, uh, I need to get back. And obviously, you know, uh, the real estate there is unbelievable. I agree. <laughs> and my rent, my rent is $6,000. So I get you, but yeah, I know. I, I live in a house, so I, you know, it, it's six thousand dollars a month. Yeah, holy crap! Yeah. But I will say this: the <laughs> pandemic, the pandemic has done wonders to uh, drive the prices down. My one of my houses really? moved out. Uh, okay, he got he got a place for like eighteen hundred dollars. I mean, it's a studio, but that's like kind of like cheap for the Bay Area. So yeah, in Bay Area, I'm, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm wondering if uh, if. If, if, if the pandemic and the fact that people aren't really like flocking to San Francisco for work hmm. every day, at least as much as they were, um, is going to make things better. Because I'd like to own a home someday. doesn't look like it's going to happen. Not in San Francisco. Uh, I remember I was like, oh, this house is $1.2 million. You know what? I'm going to save up every penny for the next year. And then if the house is still on sale, I'm going to like see, you know, see what's up. And I saved up for that year. I can't remember how much I saved, but it went from 1.2 million to like 1.6 in that year. It like went up by 400,000 and I was just like, all right, yeah. yeah, I was like, this is not, <laughs> this isn't going to happen. I don't think prices are going up faster than, than I could save my money. So 
it's uh, always yeah. crazy. I know. I mean, I know the Bay Area well enough to know like real estate there is pretty much. I know it's if not the top, it's top three in the U.S. It's number one. San Francisco yeah, is the most expensive place in the world to buy. A house. Yeah, up there. I know. You know, Manhattan's obviously up there, and there's a few other areas. Manhattan's but, um, three, and then two is like Singapore, some weird place. I look this up a weirdly like often because I'm always like, are we still like? Is yeah. this still like so unfeasible of a dream of mine? Uh, and it, it looks like it is, but. That's crazy, man. I, I, you know, so I live outside of Kansas City, um, a little bit south of there. Um, but what you get here for the money is, you know, I mean, it's, it's what you said, six thousand dollars a month. I'm thinking not rent, right, but a mortgage. Uh, yeah, at, right. at, at a good rate, and I'm talking for six thousand a month, you could probably have six bed, five bath, four garage, <laughs> couple acres. Oh, yeah, you make me sad. Yeah, like yeah, I mean, so my house isn't six thousand a month, and yeah, I'd have to show you pictures. You would laugh your ass off. Really? I yeah. have two acres, I... a pond, three car garage. Yeah. What? Oh my god. Yeah, but this is the thing, and I I cannot stress this enough. Living yeah. in San Francisco is worth every penny. Like I know people are like, I don't blame you. Insane. I get it, but like. The food here is ridiculous. There's always <laughs> something to do. I can go see the opera in 20 minutes. I can go, you know, like just the world and the culture and the fact yeah. that it's near everything is like really hard to beat. And I, I live like a couple feet away from the ocean. Yeah. I can, you know, I go on a jog and I'm, I'm at the beach in like 10 minutes and, and running on along the beach. So yeah. it's just, it's, and also the climate. I'm very temperamental. Like if it's not 60, <laughs> if it's not like 65, 70 degrees, I'm uncomfortable. And San yeah. Francisco is just always the same temperature. Yeah. So yeah. Um, I will probably get forced to leave the city eventually, but I, I'm going to, I'm going to hold on as long as I can. Cause I just love it here so much. So. I get it. Yeah. It's uh, it's all what you prioritize for your day-to-day -day life. Right. Totally. Um, yeah. yeah I've, I've talked to people that kind of live all over, right. There's places where you get way more than here. Um, and then there's places like where you are, where it's very expensive for for little in terms of housing. Um, but it all depends on, you know, the lifestyle you want and where you want to be. So, yeah, <laughs> it's funny. I don't know how the hell we got all the way down that rabbit hole. But yeah, I don't know either. But uh, <laughs> this is life. <laughs> <laughs> so. Um, so you said you've been with IGN uh, since uh, I'm guessing then late 2019. So about a year and a half. Yeah, it's, and, it's been about it's been about two years. I might be I might be overestimating how close to the pandemic it was. I think it was like okay. I think my first review was maybe the summer of 2019. So nice. it's been about two years. Yeah. Okay, so yeah, you mentioned um, you know you mentioned Fire Team Chat, and I know a huge part of Destiny. I know you've been on uh, the the show with Cog many many times. Last word, and I know yep. um, you know it's a big thing. And I saw that uh, Destin announced. Oh, by the way, Destin, I've I followed obviously IGN and Destin and Ryan and, you know, uh, Miranda and that kind of whole crew for years now. So it's really cool hearing you're close with Destin because he seems like such a cool guy. He's um, my, he's my guy. I'm actually having him and his wife over for dinner uh, probably next week. Cause that's fantastic to LA. So that's cool. And they just yeah. had uh, their first child, right? They did. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Dan, uh, Daniel is, is also going to be coming to my house. So, <laughs> okay. <so>. Nice. <laughs> nice. Yeah. yeah. That's great. But I saw, um, I saw Destin announce that Fireteam Chat, you know, he's ending it, which is kind of a big thing because I know that's it's IGN. So obviously as a podcast, it's huge. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and Destiny as a community is is massive and very um, <laughs> I don't know the word I'm looking for, but they're very uh, hungry. That's one word. Sure. Yeah. They're just very into Destiny. Right. Like it's yeah. part of their day to day being. Yeah. Um, Passionate. 
I think passionate. It's Thank you. I, it's been a long, long work day ahead of this. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think that's uh, it's kind of sad, but also understood at the same time. So what is that? Someone like yourself who does uh, this mm -hmm. kind of content, kind of part of Fireteam Chat has that association um, and, and still being, as I understand it, right? You're still a huge fan of Destiny yourself. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. it's like a big part for you as well. So what what's next in that regard, man? I mean, what what do you want to see out of kind of destiny driven content and what Bungie's going forward with? Yeah, this is something I've been thinking about uh, over the past week since we found out this was happening. It was actually almost exactly a week. Um, basically, the plan was to keep the show going uh, after Destin stopped working on it. Destin's been working on Fireteam Chat for six years. That's he has crazy. done everything himself. He was the producer. He was creating the run of show. He was recording it and then doing all the post work and doing the social and everything. And IGN sort of let him run it because it didn't really cost him anything. He was doing everything himself. Okay. And so the plan was Destin said, all right, six years is enough, but the community still wants the show. So I'll hand it over to Travis and friends and I was going to host it. We did some like test uh, episodes where I hosted just to kind of see if it worked, got a producer and all that stuff. And then basically what happened is IGN decided, hey, if Destin's not going to do everything himself, we actually have to dedicate resources to this. And uh, IGN doesn't really do podcasts for a single game. It's really unprecedented that Fireteam Chat even happened, and it wouldn't have happened if it weren't for uh, Destin stepping up and doing it. Right. Uh, and so they sort of just were like, this is going to take more resources than we thought. We don't want to do it. So uh, Destin, no. you can either do the show by yourself like you've been doing for six years, or you can kind of bring it to a close. And so they, they decided to bring it to a close. Uh, we're still going to do some episodes, but it'll probably be like a couple times a year rather than every week. And I think what made Fireteam Chat special was that it was like a weekly news show where mm -hmm. we met, even if we didn't really have anything huge in Destiny going on, just to talk about the game and sort of foster that community. Right. Uh, and I think people really attached to that, myself included. I was a Fireteam Chat listener for like four years. Uh, and then I ended up reviewing one of the destiny DLCs, one of the expansions for IGN. And then they were like, Hey, you should come on the show and talk about your review. <laughs> and then, you know, the rest is history. I was on the show every episode after that. So yeah, I think uh, I'm going to miss it as a listener and as somebody that I was on it. And I think that weekly cadence of like, just checking in every week, you mentioned the last word, they are a weekly show. And I think yeah. uh, that's sort of what, what listeners want. Like they, Destiny players are the type of people who will log on to Destiny every week at reset, even when they know there's not going to be anything new. Um, I don't know why they do that, but they... Uh, <laughs> I've never been able to figure it out, but yeah, you, know, yeah, you um, can tell me. Yeah, so so like I, my philosophy, and I think I mentioned, I've mentioned this to you before, but I always say Destiny's one of the best and 10 of the worst games I've ever played. <laughs> and I think a lot of the community feels that way, that like, yeah. you know, it's not always great, but when we're all in it together. And I think that's a really powerful feeling. That is cool. Being like, yeah, being like a part of the community and just being like, I'm in this and I gather here to hang out with my friends. And even when there isn't a lot to do, we'll find stuff to do because we're, we're friends and we play destiny. And that, that is sort of a very new concept in video games because before, you know, there were entire communities around one game and most games couldn't sustain you long enough, except for extreme edge cases like, you know, Smash Bros or, or a few MMOs, uh, maybe. Yeah. Or Mark Medina playing uh, Super Mario 64 uh, <laughs> for, you know, the past 20 years or whatever. Uh, but, you know, other than that, there weren't, there weren't like a lot of 
a lot of chances for you to just like continually play a game forever. Even, even games like Halo, eventually those servers had to get turned off, you know? Mm-hmm. And I don't think that's the plan with, uh, with destiny, at least anytime soon. And uh, so, yeah, it, it, it's one of those things where if they're playing the game every week, even when there's not a lot of new stuff going on, they want their entertainment or, you know, the podcast they listen to when they're at the gym to also happen every week and to just, kind of keep the conversation going and make them feel like they're part of that community. Um, and so I'm, I'm currently, I have no idea what I'm going to do, you know, post fire team chat, but I, I, there, there seems to be some interest in me doing some sort of like YouTube show or something. And so I'm thinking about it. I don't know if I have the time quite frankly, because Destin and the IGN resources were really like helpful. Sure. To, you know, all I have to do is be there every two weeks and make, or every week and make sure I've, uh, played the game at least a little bit that week, you know, to, to, to have something to talk about, um, which was never a problem for me. I probably play more destiny than anybody else on fire team chat. I'm like uh, kind of a psycho about it. Um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, it, I, I think going forward, the community will be fine. I think fire team chat sort of started that whole uh, culture of, of having like shows dedicated just to one game and, and going on every single week. I think that was like, something that we started, but it'll, the community will continue to exist without it. It's like so strong. Now there's a million different destiny shows you could choose from. I'm sure. And so yeah. even whether I start one or not, or fire team chat ends up being less regular than it was, uh, the community will survive. But I, I do think there is a need for like weekly check-ins and just continuing the conversation. And, and that's what that community likes. It's so weird. It's so weird. The things you find yourself like involved with, you know, but that's this happens, right? It, it just happens. Yeah. yeah, I'm the I'm a Destiny community guy, and who would have yeah. thought that? Like, I just I, the only reason I started playing Destiny is because I'm a huge Halo fan. I love Bungie, yep. and I was reviewing games for an indie outlet, and they said, "Hey, do you want to review Destiny?" And I said, "Okay," and I gave it like a six. It was like yeah. not a good score. That you know? is exactly was, what I gave the original Destiny. I'm yeah, not with you a six. Wow, there you go, I, dude. I gave it a six. Like, I agree. I'm I'm Destiny's hardest cr- harshest critic, right? Like, I I realize its shortcomings, but. There was something to it, even as a six. Yeah. You know, also I reviewed before they came out with the raid because the raid came out a month later. And I, I think the raid would have significantly improved kind of just the impressions. The launch, we could get into the launch of Destiny for hours, but yes, like the, yeah. the launch was not uh not ideal, I think. But uh no. yeah, that's that's the that's the, the community I've become attached to and and I like it. So I guess I guess that's what's gonna happen going forward. <laughs> it is funny. I um well, I, I vividly remember because people, I think now, well, maybe not the hardcore guys like yourself or the Destiny community, but people do forget that Destiny, the original one, right, was a 360 and PS3 game. Uh, I mean, it, it's been out that long now. And yeah. when that beta first came out for the 360, me and my stepson uh, played it like endlessly. I mean, we literally found everything in that beta. Uh, there were articles that came out like, you know, nine things you secrets you missed in the beta. We were like, found it, found it, found it. Found yeah, it. right. You know, um, but he has gone on to become exactly what you're talking about. So he plays, he has, I think between one and two, he has like 3000 hours. You know, Ooh. he has thousands of hours. He's done everything, has everything, can tell you everything. He actually has the parka come in for beating the raid. You know, that they sold like four months ago or whatever it was. He said yeah, it's supposed yeah. to be delivered next month uh, with his gamer tag on it. So he's like the hardcore into it. And I talked to him about it. And it's it's funny that this similar conversations, because I was a Halo guy. I mean, I am a Halo guy, a diehard Halo guy. 
And oh. so got into Destiny when it came out. But the the problem I had with it, and I want to get your thoughts, is I'm also a hardcore ARPG guy, like a loot guy, right? Diablo, mm-hmm. uh, you know, anything loot-based, I just adore. And I've never enjoyed the loot system in Destiny. Now, it's gotten a lot better. Like, I played it recently. I got back into it a few months ago and played for a few weeks or something every day. And it's gotten a lot better since it was way years ago. Mm -hmm. Um, But it just never did it to me. And I'm kind of in that space with Destiny where it's super fun to play. I don't think anyone ever argues that the mechanics are flawless. Like, the shooting mechanics, the feel of the game, it's just incredible. Bungie, they're experts at their craft when it comes to that. But there there is. And there's... Even with all the complaints, there's something about that game and just the universe it created when you're in that world, it just gives you a certain kind of feeling that is almost unexplainable. Like, I, I can't place another game in the same vein. Even And I'm not even a hardcore Destiny guy, but I recognize it. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't know what that is. It's indefinable uh, to yeah. me. Yeah, I think, uh, so for your second point about like what, what is so special about the destiny universe. I think it's just Bungie's like expert world builders. And it's very rare that you have expert world builders who also can make a game feel like the combat in destiny where it feels kind of like a halo game, but the world and around it, there's just like, you're constantly getting drawn in. And I think that's part of why halo is such a, a, you know, a beloved franchise is that like the world and the lore around halo is, intoxicating like you want to spend more time in it call of duty can have really great mechanics but it's not like you're people don't even play the campaign for that game you know what i mean (laughs) like the the hardcore people they they just go straight to pvp and i think uh that's sort of what makes uh destiny special is that they they basically took the learnings of halo great world building great shooting mechanics and they said let's try to make that repeatable forever let's just like keep developing that and make just one monster game that's just like ever expanding yeah um and i think that's like a great premise for a game super ambitious to your first point there are some issues which is that like the halo type combat and the uh loot based rpg are ideas that are utterly at odds with one another they just don't work right like halo is a arena shooter where you have to control the map and get the power Mm -hmm. weapons and Destiny is a shooter where you bring your weapons with you and have loadouts and all that stuff. And that is an inherently imbalanced idea for a game. Like you can't just have people coming in where one player who's played a lot has all the best weapons and the player who hasn't played at all yeah. has, you know, trash weapons. Yeah, I was going to say like, it works in Borderlands because there's a suspension of disbelief. It's just, you know. And no PvP. And no PvP. It's just a go yeah. wild in, in an open world yeah. type setting, right? Where Exactly. Yeah. And and they try to make Destiny balanced, which I've always thought was is a mistake. Like <laughs> you 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 can't have you have to choose. You can't have two thousand guns, a thousand pieces of armor, and try to make the game balanced. Uh you can go the Halo route and just have twelve weapons in your game and make it extremely balanced, but uh it's just really what they're trying to do is really ambitious and i don't know if they'll ever get to having a balanced game but they're trying and i mean that's that's you know more power to them that's that's an impressive (laughs) ambitious undertaking i i obviously am along for the ride and hope that they get there but i'm a pvp main in destiny so like most of what i do is play pvp uh obviously i love the pve i do all that content but pvp because i'm a halo guy that's like what I like to do, just, just, you know, get competitive and get sweaty. Uh, and, and destiny has problems there. Like yeah. it just, it just, it has a lot of problems with, uh, 
the way that things work and, and the balance and, and all that stuff. So, yeah. um, but I think, you know, I'm along for the ride. It's, I always have fun doing it. Anytime I find myself like, wow, destiny is a really imbalanced crucible or really imbalanced PVP meta. And I'm not enjoying it. I'll log off. But more often than not, I'm like, wow, this is really imbalanced, but it's kind of fun too. You know? <laughs> so you kind of, uh, you kind of, uh, you roll with the punches and, and you're there because the community is there and, and that's where your friends are at. And yeah. you're, you're kind of, you're, you're too far in like your son. Uh, you don't, you don't buy like a raid jacket and then go, eh, maybe I'll skip the next DLC. Like, this is <laughs> right. not an option. You know, he's, yeah, he's, he's going to be a, he's going to be a destiny lifer. He'll be playing as yes. long as they keep making content. So 100%. Yeah. And yeah. I think what you mentioned with PVP is that that's what actually I was going to ask you next, because for me, I've always struggled with the PVP and destiny, not struggled to, to play it or do well, um, but just for the reasons you stated, it just never felt as kind of hardcore balanced as, as a halo arena match. It just doesn't. Yeah. Right. Um, and so, but to your point, the mechanics are still there. It's still fun. Uh, so it's, it's always been that weird dichotomy of, of fun and frustration for me. Um, yeah. which is, I think why I kind of go in and out of that game, you know, in yeah. waves. I'm, and you know what? I, I would say most of my destiny life, I've actually been like you. I've played all of the expansions, but as soon as I'm done with the main content, yeah. my at least in the past, before I was working for IGN and covering it, I would just yeah. log off and you wouldn't see me on Destiny for like three or four months, right? Like that was just, I was like, all right, I'm done with all the stuff. I'm out of here. And then I would wait to the next expansion. Um, but, you know, now that I cover it, it's like every week I'm like, I need to log on. Like I want to <laughs> be a part of the conversation. I need to know what's going on here. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and and I for for you as like a casual player, yeah. The PVP is going to seem even <laughs> as a uh, as a player who's not like your son logged in every every yes, week. Yes, right? yes, very true. Um, you, you're going to think that the PVP is even more imbalanced because you're a victim of it. Like you, yeah. because you don't play all the time, you're going to be one of the people on the the bad end of that uh, you know inequality equation. And for for players like me and for players like your son, the the kind of effects of the crazy sandbox are mitigated because we play so much, we have everything. And yeah. so when we enter a highly competitive match, I'm going to get matched against your son. We're both going to have all of the stuff that we need and it becomes a lot more manageable, but there's a kind of bottom 90% of the iceberg that yeah. is like people like you that like Bungie doesn't really focus on because they're not <laughs> their bread and butter, right? They're not the people who play every day and have all the items, but there's like, just the idea of loadouts, right? Like people hated Halo 4's multiplayer because they added loadouts and that inherently kind of destroyed the balance and the control of the map and all the things that make an arena multiplayer game great. Uh, and I think Destiny has kind of the same problem times a million, right? Mm -hmm. Because they have that enormous sandbox and all that loot and stuff. And it just gets very, uh, very complicated very quickly. And yeah. it's hard to, hard to control. So. Yeah. Makes sense. I, uh, I can't tell you like a few times. It's funny. My stepson only, he, he, he was a Marine and he just got out and actually lives here now. Um, and so I was able to kind of talk to him as an expert, if you will, while I was kind of playing it again. And I'd be like, God, I'm, you know, playing Gambit and this dude with this weapon, you know, whatever the name was, just keeps yeah. killing me. He's like, yeah, man, you should get that weapon. I'm like, I don't even know how to get it. Exactly. <laughs> you know, it's the exactly. same thing. And there's no way to figure out how to do it in game. It's completely, <laughs> you, oh, oh, actually it's not available anymore because there was this exotic quest for one season that's yeah, out of the game. It and it, it's just, oh my God. Yeah. I, I for sure understand what you're saying. And I think, yeah. uh, 
I try to talk to people every week. Like my goal is to play with like at least one or two Fireteam chat listeners every week. Like I, my DMs are open and I, people message me on Xbox and I'm like, yeah, let's play. Let's get in party chat and talk about it. And I think it's because I want to talk to like the everyman player. Like I want to know people who aren't me. Uh, what are they dealing with? Cause sometimes they point out problems that I'm totally like, wow, I didn't even think about that. There's an entire currency. Uh, I think it's like armor mod components or something that they took out of the game. And it means you can't buy mods anymore unless you're a player who's been in the game for a really long time. Stuff like that. where like clearly Bungie is they're speaking to the, their players that are on Reddit. Right. And they're not speaking to like people like you that, would never go to a destiny Reddit unless they really needed to. And they're mostly yeah. just, they want to be able to just log on and play. Yeah. And I think, I think Bungie doesn't build the game for those people, unfortunately. Not at all. No, yeah. it's not intuitive uh, at all. So I hadn't played yeah. in a few years and oh, I yeah, so it was in, even worse for you. Oh, it was nuts, dude. When I, I log, <laughs> I reinstalled destiny Two a few months ago. Well, several months ago now, just before the holidays, I think got back into it. Now I hadn't played destiny two since just after launch. Right. So now they merged kind of the campaign. So you go to the Cosmodrome, right? And then you do. So literally I start Destiny 2 and I go to the Cosmodrome and I went to my stepson and said, what the hell am I doing? Why am I on the first mission of Destiny 1 again? And he's like, well, they kind of merged like both the, you know, the worlds together and the campaign's a little different now. I was like, so what happened to the campaign from Destiny 2? He's like, well, it's kind of mixed in there, but... It's and not was, in the game anymore now. They took yeah, it out. That, yeah, like two areas were completely pulled out, right? Yeah. Yeah, so... No, I, was like, I think it was like four planets were pulled out, and so you you can no longer play the Destiny 2 vanilla campaign. No, you can't. Like, yeah. that, And that really messed me up, because like I played for a few hours literally doing the same stuff I did in 2013, and I'm like, what am I doing? Like, I don't even understand. And then you add in all the other components and materials and how you have to, the weapons that were sunset at Currencies. the time. And, oh my and, God. Yeah, all this stuff. So I was just like, he literally helped me for weeks, like trying to figure out everything. And, uh, you know, I eventually got there, but it's just, if you're new and don't have someone on hand like that, it's it's a mess trying to figure out what the hell's going on in that game. Yes. Um, and yet still very fun to play. It so, is. But you'll get no argument from me when it comes to criticizing Destiny. I think, uh, <laughs> like, the Destiny community is generally, like, if somebody criticizes it and they're very clearly, like, a Destiny player, they'll yeah. just laugh and everybody will pile on and make fun of it. But as soon as somebody who doesn't play Destiny talks shit about <laughs> Destiny, they're like, oh, you get out of here. Like, you you have no right to say that. You so, haven't earned the right to talk yeah, about Yeah, they're very game. defensive about their game unless they're among friends. Then everybody just piles on it and it's just like, man, <laughs> this game sucks, you know? So... It really does seem to occupy a unique space uh, in the gaming community, which is uh, fascinating to me. And I'm I'm really interested to see now that we know that Bungie's working on their new IP, whatever that may be, right? For I think they said 2025, you know, like way it's like out a hero there. shooter or something. Yeah, yeah. I'm really kind of curious to see, you know, where they're going to go, right? In terms of both Destiny and what that new IP looks like, uh, it's interesting. Yeah. So, but um. Changing gears a little bit, um, even though I know we could talk about Destiny, especially you could talk about Destiny for longer. Um, one of the things I like to talk about on this show, right, is around around the gaming community and and coverage of it. So I, one of the things I, I wanted to make sure I got your opinion on being that you work for IGN, which is, as we discussed, the biggest uh, kind of video game company in terms of coverage in the world. Um, what are your thoughts around what you see today in terms of the discourse around the gaming community and, and you know all the stuff we see on a daily basis right from review and review scores 
to criticisms of games before they're even released the mm -hmm. you know the viewpoints on things like digital foundry that have begun or not begun but you know really put a spotlight on in terms of yeah. oh god this version has 10 more pixels so you better you know you better get that one um yeah. and just the way games are covered nowadays even compared to just a few years ago is vastly changed and, and evolving um and coverage also has to be so quick right like as soon as news breaks, if you're not, if you don't have that up and live, you've missed out. Yeah. Um, and I just, I would love to hear kind of, that's obviously many different topics. Many questions. Yeah. Yeah. We uh, can touch in that, but just thoughts from your perspective, because I mean, I'm literally on the other end of the spectrum. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that, right. Is I run an outlet, but we're, we're small. I mean, there's no, it's a very small outlet and uh, we do it out of just passion for gaming, not to make clicks or make money. So it's it's literally the opposite of IGN in terms of just the reach and the you know what you guys have to cover on a daily basis. So love to hear yeah. just thoughts on that kind of bigger topic. Okay, um, so I'm just going to pick one and go with it. For, go for, for it. For the record, I'm very excited to talk about all these things because I kind of don't get to. People ask me my opinions about specific games or about Destiny, and then I I don't really get to. Talk no, about let's other stuff. let's talk bigger, so, man. So we yeah. can jump all over the place. Just pick one and yeah. we'll start. So I, I guess the first thing I'll talk about is is in terms of the discourse when it comes to like whether a game's good or bad and kind of basically the reason I started reviewing games yeah. is I sort of hate this thing that exists on the internet and it kind of extends way beyond gaming, which is that on the internet, something is either God's <laughs> gift to the world or it's just like a flaming pile of uh -huh. dog doo-doo. Black know? and white, right? And it's super black and white. And, yeah. and it kind of speaks to like this larger tribalism that happens on the internet where people want to be on one team or another. And if you're mm -hmm. not with me, you're against me. And drawing hard lines in the sand and doing purity tests on whether you qualify as a good person and all that stuff that sort of exists uh, on the internet. And yeah. it, I think it, a lot of it starts with video games just because video games are so core to this new generation of people, right? Like these people okay. that are kind of shaping the internet. Um, and it's so, it's such a big part of our culture that I think it kind of is at the heart of it, right? Like the whole Gamergate thing is <laughs> related to video games, but in a much larger sense, it's not related to video games. It's related to like this larger uh, kind of generation of people that interact with the internet in a, in a very advanced way and have like a lot of tribalism and a lot of toxicity and stuff going on there. Um, and so the reason I wanted to write reviews is because I was sort of like, like things aren't black and white. Like they almost never are actually. Right. It's like, it's, it's, it, I have never personally, uh, at least for IGN given like a one score, a one out of 10 or a 10 out of 10, like, <laughs> and even if I had, it, it probably would be an insane one-off, right? Like vast majority of the time things are just okay. And there are some bad things about it and some good things about it. And I think taking the time to slow down the conversation and present something with nuance rather than just slapping a score and being like, this is a nine, play it, you know, yeah. um, I think is important. And I actually think IGN, obviously they get a lot of flack for like the way that they present news and that sort of thing. Always. I sort of think it's unfounded because I think IGN is really good at being the adult in the room and being like, Hey, you know what? Like, not to crap on any outlets particularly. I have nothing wrong with this outlet. I'm just using this example. Hey, Kotaku, like that's good <laughs> that, you know, it's good that you wrote this like super, uh, you know, sarcastic article about like why a game is bad. We're going to, we're going to tell you why this game is a seven, which some people might say a seven in IGN literally means good. It's a, but, that's a good game. Yeah. 
but it's a, it's a good game. But when you see a seven out of ten, the the internet's reaction is not that this is a good game. That's the internet's the reaction is that. And by the way, it's, yeah. it's 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 kind of funny that I knew you were going to say Kotaku even before you did. So right, There's see, and, and I'm not saying and. Uh, I have lots of friends at Kotaku. That's all I'll say. But uh, <laughs> the way that they, the, the kind of their vibe is very different. They're it kind is. of like, they're speaking to a different audience and they're doing it in a different voice. And I think that's really cool. It's just not the voice I have. I probably wouldn't be a good Kotaku writer because my thinking is like, okay, well, let's not be like crazy about it. Like this game has some good qualities. It's just, you know, uh, I'm going to put out a review today. That's a five out of 10. You know, it doesn't feel good to put out a game and then label it mediocre next to it. But you go through and you talk about the benefits and you talk about where it went wrong and where it went right. And by the way, developers are almost never surprised when they see a review score. They worked on the game. They know the bugs. They know when they're when they've cooked a stinker. Yeah. Like they are very rarely surprised by it. And so you kind of give them hopefully some insight into what they could do better. And then more importantly, you give uh, the consumer information that they can use to make a decision, which I think is extremely important in a world where there's a million games, you don't have time for any of them and the world and each game wants you to spend all of their time on that one game, right? Yep. Like Fortnite wants you to spend all their time playing it. And meanwhile, your backlog is growing uh, yep. times 10. And that's a new problem in gaming too. Uh, yes, yeah. And then, and then uh, one of the other things that you, you asked about, which is sort of related is, um, reviewing games that aren't even out yet, which technically I guess is something IGN does, but IGN has a really, I think, smart rule about it, which is that out or not, if they're charging you for a game, you deserve to know what the score is, period, right? And so if, if, it's, a, if it's a preview game or Steam Greenlight game that costs you $20, yeah. you deserve to hear somebody's opinion on if that game is good or not, or if it's worth your money. And that's our metric. And it, it, it's, I think it's really important that we that all kind of outlets keep some bar in mind because what we've noticed is that some developers will put out a game through like early access yeah. and then it'll never actually come out. Right. It'll be in early access for four or five years. <laughs> Everyone will have played that game by the time it's out of early access, right? And I think if you wait until the game is officially out, you're doing a huge disservice to your readers who should know way well in advance, especially when they're being asked to spend money, how a game is. And so we get a lot of crap on that. Like, Oh wow. I can't believe you reviewed this game. That's like in its, you know, early access state. And we're like, all right, but it costs $30 like early access or not that like, don't you, wouldn't you want to know <laughs> like if you should spend $30 in this game? I know I would. Right. And mm -hmm. then we also have a policy of, if a game does fully come out or like no man's sky where it comes out and it sort of flops. And then a year later, it's a completely yeah. different game. Two years later, it's a completely different game. We'll yeah. re-review a game. Sea of Thieves is a good example there too. Sea of Thieves is a great example, right? No man's sky. The reason I use that is because I was one of the reviewers on that game. Yeah. Uh, somebody reviewed the game when it came out, it got yeah. a really bad score. And then somebody reviewed it again for IGN a year later. And then okay. the third year that it was out, I reviewed it and I <laughs> gave it uh, the highest score because it was a completely different game by then. But our rule is kind of, it has to have changed significantly and there has to be enough interest to warrant the review around it. And sure. so No Man's Sky is a perfect example because people still care about that game for some yeah. reason. Like it, year after it came out, a lot of people were still playing it and it's changed significantly. So we'll re-review it. Uh, and you know, that's fair. Like if a game's changed and people are still playing it, I think, it, I think that's totally fair. But on the other hand, if you're selling a game and you're saying it's not out yet, don't <laughs> review me. 
I have a lot of questions for you because so, I think, yeah. <laughs> so I think that's fair. Um, yeah. And I've talked to other people about that as well, because I know there were, I don't remember what it was. There was a game relatively recently that IGN reviewed that was early access. And I know IGN got a lot of flack for it. And I can't remember what game it was. I can vividly remember this conversation, yeah. but I, I'm kind of in a weird space on it because I agree with what you're saying. You're charging money for a product. What does that product deliver? That's the heart of what you're saying, right? Mm -hmm. What would you say to someone who would counter by saying, that's fair. Oh, this is kind of me, really. That's fair. However, there is, as you well know, right? Uh, there is a community, not a community. There is a uh, aspect of game development now, which kind of relies upon crowdfunding. Uh, Kickstarter, yeah. obviously, FIG. Um, and early access kind of plays that role to a lesser degree in some development nowadays, right? Uh, where developers say, here's our vision. We're going to give you a taste of that vision by paying into early access. You help us finish that vision, right? So I would say in those cases, do you still feel the same? Or do you feel that that money is going, uh, should be more looked at as, crowdfunding the game's development and wait until that game is finished to see what you've paid for? Yeah, that's a, that's a really interesting question. I think that if the only people who are paying for the game are people who are like involved in its development, basically becoming like backers or, yes. I mean, I kind of hate crowdfunding just because it's like, it gives you all of the risks of being an investor without any of the benefits. You take of all the risks. Absolutely. You take all the risk and you get like, normally if you're like, Hey, I have this idea for a company you want to invest. Like you go, okay, how much of the company do I get? But with Kickstarter, they just go, <laughs> we'll give you the finished product, I guess, if we yeah. finish it. Uh, with so the I, caveat I think, that they take no responsibility for the exactly, company delivering what exactly, they deliver. Yeah. Yeah. I have, I have, I have problems with crowdsourcing because I think it's kind of like anti-consumer, but I understand that it does help projects that wouldn't normally exist exist. That's just true, right? Yeah. Um, and so I think I was, if the only... Sorry, I, I didn't mean to interrupt you, Travis. So yeah. I, what immediately popped to mind when you said that was Psychonauts 2. You know, totally. Fans yeah. like me waited. Uh, I'm a Psychonauts junk. I love that first game. It's and so game. it waited 15 years, you know, pleading for a sequel. And they used Fig, finally funded a sequel. Now that's obviously changed because of the Microsoft and Xbox yeah. acquisition, right? But... The, the point remains that we wouldn't have seen Psychonauts 2 at least begin development without FIG, right? Yeah. And there's other examples. Like I know like a game I really like that's been crowdfunded is Banner Saga, that yeah, trilogy. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. And that I don't think those games would have happened. It was a very small studio. So there, there's definitely examples where like games exist now through crowds, crowdsourcing that I think wouldn't, wouldn't normally exist. Yeah. Um, but if you're starting to charge people that are outside of that circle of backers, then I think it's a bit of a, it, it then it becomes a question of like, okay. And, and the re, like, what I would say is if you, if you're a company like IGN, your goal should always be to be on the side of the player, not like the developer, the developer, obviously you're kind of helping them because you're getting the word out and, and don't get me wrong. People, Developers want IGN to review their game of because they know that there's going to be yep. a lot of, of traffic on that and we can't review them all. So we have to kind of yep. pick our battles. But at, at the end of the day, what we're trying to do is serve our readers. And if the readers clearly have interest in a game and it is available to be sold, I think that that warrants a review and a score. Um, and, you know, the game can be in early access and, uh, 
we can re-review it later when it fully comes out if sure. there's still interest in it. But I think you have to strike while the iron's hot. I think you have to trend toward the side of the consumer, the person who you're sort of protecting, right? You're informing them, you're, you're yeah. their advocate. And the other thing is that some developers are kind of sneaky, not to <laughs> call anything out, but they, they will just... They will literally just be like, oh no, it's early access. Like if, if IGN's rule was don't review it until it's fully out, I guarantee you there would be some developers that never officially released their game. Because why would you? Like why why be held accountable when you have an option that that allows you to not be accountable, right? And um we I think I think our uh editors, I don't want to speak for the management, but I of think course. our our management of our editors at some point ran into some situations like that and we're like, all right, mm-hmm. we need a hard rule. Like we just need to like this is our policy and you know if you're gonna sell your game and and our audience cares about you, we're gonna review your game. Like yeah. that's basically it. So no that's um, fair. That's very fair. Um I hope I did I hope you didn't feel on the spot there. That wasn't the No, intent. not at all. Okay. I actually <laughs> love this sort of stuff and and what I love about these sorts of conversation is that they kind of prove what I said at the beginning, right? Which that like most things aren't black and white. Some things have nuance and you can you can say here's IGN's policy and uh this I you know I I I'm behind it but it's not perfect. You don't have exactly. to agree with every aspect of it. Like it uh, uh, there's been a lot of discourse about if the reviewing model even works. Or if right. reviews have too much power and all that yeah. stuff. And I love reading about this stuff because I'm a reviewer and I think it's kind of a gray area. Like it's complicated. Like just because I review games, I'm not like, oh yeah, there's nothing wrong with the review model. Like everything's great. Like yeah. it's it's clearly that there's clearly the, the industry has changed and some stuff about reviewing gets a little iffy and it's hard to navigate it. But I love reviewing games and i love the idea of taking on that challenge and finding out how we're going to adapt and that sort of thing i i think that that's exciting and and i have no problem uh seeing an article that says you know reviews maybe don't make sense anymore or have too much power or influence on i mean bungie when they released the original destiny game none of them got their bonuses because the metacritic score wasn't high yeah we've heard those horror stories yeah yeah i mean that's not that's not really a reviewer problem that's more like a bungie management maybe (laughs) don't do that thing or activision or whatever but uh but but it is it is a question right like and i i think that it's a valid one i wouldn't begrudge anybody for asking those questions i would just say that i think Reviews are always going to happen regardless, even if game is now. Somebody's going to do it. You're, you're, whether it's your outlet or, or IGNs or some yeah. YouTuber, people are going to comment on it. And I think that it is a natural check and balance on a on a system that probably needs it when there's so many games and so many people asking for your money. And it's really easy to make a game look amazing on a trailer and of then course. release something that's not not up to snuff. And so I, I think I think reviews are important <laughs> and should be around and. You know, if they don't make sense how they're working now, that's that's fine, and we can have that discussion. But yeah. let, let's not hate each other, right? Yeah, no, I I started laughing right there because again, it made me think of the game we were just talking about prior to recording because it's a perfect example of wow, that trailer is amazing. Yep, uh, finished exactly. product, not so much. Um, <clears throat> but um, no, I I really appreciate the conversation. And funny enough, I reached down because I, I think I actually showed this before, but no joke, this is my. For my career job, this is my notebook. I take all my notes and meetings and everything in. Um, literally, it's translated on the front here in like 20 different languages. Life is not always black and white. Um, because it's exactly true. There's, I completely agree with you that I believe uh, reviews are necessary. Uh, we need them. They're a fundamental part of gaming discourse. But 
when you look at the examples like you stated of how the power of what Metacritic dictates, right? And and also what Metacritic has done to the review scale, right? I talk to people all the time, especially the people that write for my outlet when we review games. It's like, if we're going to have a one to 10 scale, we have a one to 10 scale, right? Five is your med- is your average game. And to your yeah. point, right? A seven should be a good game. But it feels like Metacritic, as you said, it's like, if it's not a... 80 plus or eight plus it's just people are like oh game's not very good is it you know i i've been preaching all week whether anyone agrees with me or not i think some do about biomutant being a great game i i i've got like 80 hours in it um i love that game it's got a lot of quality things is it perfect of course not um but you know i gave it a high score and it created a big conversation with me um on the community because i think on metacritic it's what like a 68 or something you know and immediately 68 which should be a good game is oh that game's garbage you know i'm not buying that you know and it's just i love being the outlier whenever i review a game and i almost never am i'm always disappointed when my review is like right in the middle i'm like oh i wish it was like way too low or way too high but It's a unique position for me. I think this is the first time for a game that had kind of a lot of press around it right now uh, for Mm -hmm. a smaller game um, where mine has really stood out. Like literally I was on the top of a Reddit post with a few other people. They were asking me questions about it prior to launch and stuff because, you know, my review came in high. And I even told my friends ahead of time, I said, look, I'm going to come in high on this. I know I am. I just feel it. You know, I said it's probably going to be a 70 to 75 Metacritic game. Um, which I was pretty close on, but it's just, it, it's a weird conversation for sure. Yeah. Um, and I, that's a, go ahead. Yeah. I was going to say, that's the great thing about games is, or uh, game reviews is it's just someone's opinion. So people yeah, can feel and completely I, differently. And you mentioned earlier how around it, it you feel it's a responsibility. I th- I'm going to uh, curate what you said and tell me if I get this wrong, but essentially it's the responsibility of the reviewer to, illustrate for the reader or watcher if you do video reviews right why you believe what you believe and what the qualities of a game are and what the negatives of a game are and why and i always also add to that conversation you know what is it what two things what is the developer trying to present right what is the developer trying to give the player um beyond just the genre or the game type or what have you right and also what other games peer titles, right? How does this stack up to peers? What is it trying to accomplish? Does it do well in those areas versus others? And I, to your point, I think there's a lot of complexity and a lot of nuance to that conversation. And it's just, I don't know about you, but when people just look at a score, it kind of gets to me a little bit because there's so much more context uh, that goes into the score. In fact, when we started reviewing games, we didn't do a score. Uh, But Mm. the sad fact is, as I've told others, right? If you want to be part of the open critic conversation and the yep. aggregate sites, you have to have a score. Yep. You just have to. Um, so it makes it a real challenge, I think, sometimes in that vein. Yeah, I'm with you. It's it's one of those things where you know you want an article to be uh, irresistibly clickable, right? You want it to be user-friendly so that people can get information quickly. Yeah. But you also don't want to flatten the conversation and just make it a, make, you know, kind of, make it simpler than it is, right? Because reviews are a lot of stuff, but at the end of the day, not everyone has, you know, 15 minutes to read a full review and take into account all the, all the merits. And so sometimes a snapshot, you know, if you've, if you've never heard of Biomutant and you don't really like RPGs, but you're kind of wondering if maybe this is one of the RPGs this year you should get, yeah. uh, seeing an 80 from Ains is, is like a, or an eight out of 10 is like, 
useful information. I seem to agree with this guy. We like Mass Effect 1 as our favorite uh, Mass Effect game. We like so Elder smart Scrolls. people is what you're saying. Yeah, Elder Scrolls Morrowind <laughs> is our favorite Elder Scrolls <laughs> game. So maybe I'll like this game, right? Um, I think I think that's uh, I think that's useful. But uh, I, I get what you're saying. Like it, it it's you're walking a fine line between being uh, convenient and helpful to readers and being reductive with like the conversation. Yes. And yeah, exactly. That's, that's the, that's the problem with slapping a score on it. But if you don't like you're, nobody's going to care about your review you're not going to end up on Reddit if they go, well, there's no score, but Ain said that, you know, this <laughs> paragraph that sort of breaks down his overview, that's not going to make it into the, the Reddit uh, thread. So I, th- I yeah, think it's-, uh, it's a useful tool that unfortunately gets overused and, and reduces the conversation sometimes. Yeah. 100%. And by the way, uh, I forgot when we were talking about your gaming history uh, mm-hmm. to ask you, you know, what crisis in your life led you to the Mass Effect 2 being the best one? Like, you know, I, I often oh look for God. a disaster or some sort of, <laughs> yeah, you know, trauma. some tragedy yeah. in your life that would have led mm-hmm. you to this terrible conclusion. But, you know, actually, the tragedy that happened to me was playing Mass Effect 1. Um, <laughs> so it hurt me so much that I. You like you, I turn that around have, on you? Have you, you gone like back? Have you played the uh, Legendary? I, have, I actually am almost done with Mass Effect 1. And I've okay. watched my, my girlfriend is playing Mass Effect Trilogy for the first time. So I'm like nice. waiting. I'm playing it slower than her so that she can go through it the first time. Sure. Um, and so she just finished Mass Effect 2 and is at the beginning of Mass Effect 3 now. Okay. Uh, and Mass Effect 1, I don't know if it was as buggy as this version is, but like this version, I'm just getting hit with every bug. I had to restart the entire game once because uh, really? I got I got locked out of out of a, a main quest. I uh, am falling through the map on the Mako. Like all this stuff is happening where I'm just like, wow, I don't remember it being this buggy, but wow. it is sort of uh, seeing her play Mass Effect 2 while I was doing Mass Effect 1. It, it was just like. I don't want to be here. Like it was just, <laughs> I I love Mass Effect One for what it is. But it's one of those games where like I play it and I appreciate it, but yeah. the more I play it, I'm like, okay, like like move on. Let's like get. It's just it's so it's long, dude. The Mako sections are so long. So. Yeah, yeah. And I'm 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 playing it too. I'm playing it slowly. I'm still on one because I actually stopped to play Biomutant and a couple other games. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's been enjoyable. But I, I forgot to bring that up as a joke. You know, maybe maybe Bioware just you know made sure your copy was like that because of your. Standard. I know they are they're really hitting me hard with this one. They're they're very upset. No, but to be fair, my girlfriend when she played through Mass Effect One, she didn't get hit with any uh, bugs. She like had a flawless playthrough. So nice. She, yeah, she does. She does say Mass Effect Two is her favorite one so far. Fair but, enough. Fair enough. But she's also a huge. This is gonna make you laugh. Yeah. Dating sim fan. Most Done. of the games she plays are dating Nailed sims, it. so obviously she's gonna like <laughs> Mass Effect Two the best. So uh, we'll have to let Bill know on that one for sure. Yeah, he's gonna love that. Gonna <laughs> love that. And, they, and she treated it like a dating sim, like she was like playing on the easiest difficulty, getting through all the combat sequences, and then back on the Normandy, she was just like playing the field and talking to everybody. And I was just like, God, this is disgusting. Because you know how <laughs> I played Mass Effect, I did no romance all three games. Is like shutting everyone down. So she just had the exact opposite playthrough as me. You're like, I don't have time for this. Yeah. I don't have time to <laughs> romance you. There's Reapers on the way. It's too funny, man. Um, yeah. It's great to see so much love uh, for the franchise back again, though. One of the guys that um, I talk to every day and writes for SG, um, he's playing it for the first time. And so he's been just addicted. Like he, he said, it's literally taken over his life. So he's, I think he's a few hours into three now. He's finished one and two. He hasn't wow. commented which one he likes better. Uh, he loved the Mako. 
surprisingly. Really? I know. Wow. Um, because one of the first questions he asked me was, I still get to drive my Mako NME too, right? And I was like, no. You get, no, you get a flying one for the DLC. <laughs> oh, for the DLC. Yeah, that's Yeah, fair. the that's fire, fair. The what was the thing called? It, oh, I know. It's, it's another, because they're all named after animals. <clears throat> I can't remember. Yeah. It's like a bull or something like that, a rhino. Yeah. I can't remember. Yeah, no, I don't remember. I haven't played. I haven't played two since the original. So wait, what is a mako? A mako is a type a of. That's right. They're all named after sharks. So okay. the one in Mass Effect Two is the hammerhead. Got that's it. right. Yes, we Boom. did it. Yeah, this is why okay, we're here, cool. folks. This is why you yeah. listen. <laughs> <laughs> Tell you things you already knew. Um, so uh, going back to the uh, the gaming conversation, um, mm -hmm. one of the things, and not that you speak for IGN, it's just your perspective, right? Um, one of the things that, uh, we talk about often here as a challenge, right. Is, is for lack of a better word, it's just clickbait, right. And there's a lot of the industry and it's not even just the gaming industry. It's just online nature, right. Is quick hits and getting people to click on something. Mm -hmm. Um, and in the gaming industry, what that means for us is often hot takes, uh, lots of rumors and fake leaks. And, uh, you, you know, it's not like I have to explain to you. Right. But, yeah. um, you know, <clears throat> for me, uh, especially the way we run SG, um, is really kind of from a positivity angle. We don't publish for clicks. None of that matters to us, but it, it's a real challenge when you see some of the content out there that gets thousands to hundreds of thousands to millions of hits a day. And you can look at it and be like, that's just total bullshit. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's just total bullshit. There's no bearing on anything meaningful whatsoever. And I, I have to imagine that for people like yourself who uh, have a, a good understanding of gaming and, and kind of really hold it up high in your life while simultaneously working for an outlet that at the end of the day is driven on revenue and, and you know, visitors, et cetera. I, I have to imagine that balance uh, is extremely hard to walk sometimes, especially it feels like it's gotten, for lack again, lack of a better word, gotten worse, or the the conversation in some areas has kind of devolved over the mm -hmm. past several years. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I actually don't think it's that much of a challenge for IGN specifically, and I think it's more of a challenge for outlets like you, where like you know you're competing with other people that are willing to say things that you're not. Of right? course. But you're not backed by a giant corporation. No. The, thing, the, thing about, the thing about IGN is that we can create a clickbait article title and, and be totally uh, secure in our, in our ability to do it because we actually have content behind the, clicky, the clickbaity article that is exclusive to us, right? Like we, we make a deal with the developer and go, hey, I mean, not the, edit, not the editors, but our sales team, which is a <laughs> sure. separative, separation of church and state, they'll go, hey, you know, we want some, we want to like debut you guys on IGN and, and exclusively cover you. And so we can put a, a clickbait article that, that, you know, draws lots of clicks and still actually has content. Uh, we're just competing against people who are willing to say things that aren't true and make things up and all that. And, and, you know, just the, the wild west that is the internet, yeah. but it, but it's not so much a, a fight for us because they're, they're appealing to a completely different reader. A lot of those guys burn out once their readers find out that they, they shouldn't really take a lot of stuff, you know, a lot of, uh, a lot of, uh, put a lot of stake in what this person's saying yeah. because they yeah. eventually, eventually, you know, after a while, they're going to figure out you're, you're selling snake oil. 
if, if every article is disappointing or every uh, clickbait YouTube thumbnail or a guy's going with an explosion <laughs> behind him, uh, you right. know, you can only do so many of those before people are like, all right, this guy doesn't actually uh, provide content I care about. Um, so I, I think we're kind of competing for one, a different type of reader who's looking for a different type of information and yeah. B, B, we're lucky enough to be a big corporation that can actually get content exclusively. That, that means we, you know, we're going to get clicks no matter what, because yes, you can't no find doubt. it everywhere else. Right. No um, but in terms of like rumors and, and that sort of thing, I, I, I like it. Like you said, I don't speak for IGN, so I don't want to speak out of turn, but of I know we, I know we do have like a news team that's trying to get scoops and sure. it is, I imagine it's genuinely hard for them to cut through some of the noise and rumors and stuff that goes on throughout the day. Uh, and especially people who are willing to publish articles before they have independently verified things. That's, that <laughs> yes. can be tough because we're, we'll be like the last people there because we have scruples, right? Like, um, but that, that's fine with us. Like we're, if we're, if we're an hour late to a story, but our reader knows that once it's on IGN, it's official. I think that's a really good position to, to, to be in. So I think the answer to my question is, or to your question is, uh, I think we're fine, but it, it is an industry problem. And yeah. unfortunately we are kind of not really a part of it that much. And I think that's unfortunate because I, I, uh, it, it is a problem. I mean, I've, I still, I, I started writing for outlets like yours. Like I, I was unpaid just like writing reviews for uh, indie outlets and that, that didn't have a lot of uh, views. And there's a lot of passion there to do something and create like good and good content. That's for, uh, gamers that, that care about that sort of thing. Uh, and it's really hard for them to compete yeah. with like YouTubers and streamers and stuff when there's all this kind of like noise floating out there. So I, I'm not just like in my ivory tower, like completely disassociated. <laughs> like I, I remember very well what it was like to uh, compete with those people. In fact, most of my career writing uh, for games was that I did that for like six and a half, seven years before I wrote my first piece at IGN. So yeah. Uh, relatively speaking, uh, working for IGNs is still new for me and sure. they have their own problems that are unique to being a very large corporation that have nothing to do with the sorts of problems that small indie outlets deal with. But, uh, those problems still do exist. And I wish yeah. there was a, a better answer to it because yeah, sometimes it feels like if you're an indie outlet trying to do the right thing, you're always going to get beat by people that feel like they're like, they don't have to. Right. It's yeah. a renegade versus paragon question, really. <laughs> no doubt, no it's, doubt. It's, yeah, we can't I, stoop I, to their level. We have to continue. I always know. go paragon, even when I Me tell too. myself. I try not to. No, yeah. I try not to, and it's like I can't say this. You know what I mean? Like it's just it's yeah. against my nature. I um, can say the mean stuff. For me, it's like casually committing genocide. Is like <laughs> I, I I can't like do that. Like that one's hard for me. And I think if you do like a full renegade playthrough, the game basically forces you to commit genocide like a few times like you have to kill all the i don't know i don't know if anybody's listening to this who hasn't played all mass effect but yeah, it's, yeah it gets pretty brutal that stuff i can't deal with but like knocking somebody out or saying something rude or or saying something philosophically that's like i don't care what you have to say like i'm okay yeah. with that part i just i don't want to see like you know all my friends die in the game because i'm an <laughs> asshole like it just seems um I think that's a, uh, that's good perspective. So I appreciate that. And it, it is kind of funny. I, to your point, I think IGN obviously is at the level where you don't worry about those same things. Right. Um, I mean, it's just, IGN is synonymous with gaming at this point. Uh, it's kind of 
past that <laughs> it's past that arch which is uh really cool to see i mean god i i remember first going on the ig on ign message boards in the early 2000s i want to say like I 2001 yeah those are the days i mean yeah IGN going way board. back when it was a niche thing right i mean gaming yeah. even then was much smaller than it is now so uh yeah god it's crazy to think um where the company and other companies like it have come it's nuts um but anyway, uh, how do you think ask? about it, though? I mean, you're say it again. You're more you're more in that position than I am now. How do how do you feel about the clickbait thing? How do you navigate it? It's tough. Yeah, and I, I know listeners who listen to our channel all the time, and all of these uh, videos will hear me rant about it way too often. I try to try to hold back nowadays because I do get a little angry about it. So, I mean, just for your background, like when I started SG. The whole goal from the start was that I was annoyed with where gaming journalism had gone, um, journalism used loosely. Um, and so I found that the site with the intention of never monetizing. So if you're not aware, SG, we have no ads. None of our YouTube videos are monetized. We literally have no income. Um, and so the whole thing was really just uh, create content for with a passion for the content itself, right? Because I've been gaming a long time. It's a huge part of my life. And in my real career, <laughs> I'm fortunate enough where I have a good career. I make good money. And so I can afford to outlay what I need to outlay to run the site, right? Without worrying about it. Um, but what that means is the whole thing is we don't publish anything for clicks because whether I get a million clicks or I get a thousand clicks, it makes no difference to me. Uh, other than obviously being able to get review codes or work with developers mm -hmm. right which is cool but monetarily it makes no difference so <clears throat> when you're trying to do that and you're trying to only do the right things or create meaningful articles or uh, do something like our good in gaming initiative which is around uh, putting a spotlight on the gaming benefits for mental health and accessibility and disability uh, you know it, it's a it's a real struggle to um that's when you really wish that you drove more visitors, right? Because you're trying to do something good and meaningful, um, but on a day-to-day -day basis, because you're not engaging in whatever's getting hits that day or whatever rumor, or whatever bullshit, right? Uh, you just don't consistently have that same type of traffic. So it's it's a real challenge. Hmm. Yeah. That's an interesting model. Very like Paragon, actually. It's, like a, <laughs> it's about the most like, Paragon you can get, I think. Yeah, that yeah. You You're going yeah. like, no compromise whatsoever. We're going to do things the right way, even if it's, you know. I've had people, so I've had friends who told me, we've been going for five years. Five year anniversary was in December. Um, and so I've had friends tell me, well, you'll start to get some hits and you'll start to get some traffic and then you'll monetize. You know, like you, you won't be able to avoid it. And I'm just stubborn, man. I am. I'm a very stubborn person. And when I say I'm going to do something a certain way, that's the way I do it. Uh, and and yeah. if you tell, especially if you tell me I can't do something, then you've just doubled me down. Right. What, what if you do blow up though? Because then it like, it costs more money to keep the website running. If it has like millions of visits and then it's like, Oh, now maybe I can't afford this without <laughs> that would be that happened to uh, who did my, I have a friend who writes for a different outlet and he did a, it was the, one of those gross videos on the on the internet, like two girls, one cup or oh, something Jesus. like that. 
Like it was like one of those, like the guy like put it on the website as a joke. And then because it got so many hits, he started like losing money. And then he had to put ads on this like joke, you know, internet page with like a, just a gross like video on it, you know? And like, it's, it's so funny to this guy that I'm talking about. He does like really awesome, like deep dives into stupid, like internet stuff and like digs out the culture. And it, he, he's a really talented guy. Um, yeah. But yeah, he it's it's kind of interesting. Like that happened to somebody, and and you're like a victim of your own success. And then, yeah, yeah all that it's stuff, interesting. So. I don't yeah. think so. We we and we have grown. Like don't don't let me uh, kind of steer you wrong. We continually grow. We've grown year over year. Uh, twenty eighteen, no, excuse me, twenty nineteen was by far our best year. Twenty twenty more than doubled it, um, and twenty twenty one this year is on track to be better than last year. So I mean, we are continually growing. But um, yeah, I don't know if I ever approach that conversation. I think what I would do, honestly, we do so super chats and stuff for our YouTube stuff, right? Like that goes just oh, to okay. running the site. So that's there. Um, I've had many people ask, why do we not do either a Patreon or a uh, YouTube uh, subscription, right? And we haven't done either of those because the same point stands in my head, which is, if, if you're going to pay me for something, I want to do something unique for you. Um, and I just don't know what that is. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's not like I'm going to release a video and say, okay, you can watch it today, but you can watch it tomorrow. That's stupid to me. The video is done. Why would I, you know, you pay me? Or you get it? Yeah. Yeah. I'm just, I'm not that type of person. So I don't know. I think that's where we would go though. If we actually grew and we had several more people writing for the site and got big, I think I would go that route, more of a crowd type thing. I got it. The whole ads and all that stuff. Like I can't stand clicking on a site and there's several I could name where it's like, you get like four sentences and then there's like, not, I wasn't pointing it at you. Popping out the ad, but you yeah. get like a middle ad, then you get ads over yeah. here and then the video plays and I'm just, I can't take it, man. It drives me crazy. Yeah. I can't. Take yeah. It. So. it is very ugly. I will say that. And site takeovers are obnoxious too. Yeah. So yeah, I don't think true. anybody likes ads. That's why like at, at like, IGN or like larger uh, publications, they sort of separate them and they go, all right, this team, you're in charge of like deals and like what ads appear on the site. And then this other team editors, you just create content. And so we'll see like when we see an ad or a, a website takeover on IGN.com, it's a surprise to us too. We're like, oh, <laughs> I guess we, I guess this is what's happening on the site today. Cause we really, there is a separation there. We don't talk about it. So it's like, uh, we're, we're just as surprised as the readers when we see the game that we just got done uh, destroying in our review uh, actually signed like a huge deal with us and did a site takeover. That's, <laughs> just that's the that's nature of the business. Though. I mean, that yeah. should be right. It should be separate. Yep, absolutely. So, Necessary. Uh, I think. Yes. Yes. Um, but yeah, so I don't know. Uh, I'll cross that bridge if I come to it, but for now, you know, uh, <laughs> well, congratulations on your success so far. It's cool that you can keep it running that way. Uh, and I, I, it's admirable. Paragon. Paragon path. <laughs> So. Paragon.com. Uh, I should <laughs> lock that down. Um, Do it. <laughs> so here's a random question for you. And I, I don't know if you'll have an answer or if it's something that you've thought of before. But if you had one wish for the gaming community, it could be something that you would like, something you wish other people would do, sites would do, anything. Just one wish hmm. that you could grant to the gaming community at large, all of us. What would you, what would you like? What would you do? Anything pop to mind? 
Yeah, I mean that's that's pretty tough. I I'm like tempted to turn this into like a larger thing that could affect the world more than just the <laughs> game industry because like all of, well, all I think of the we problem, would all do that if we could. Yeah, because right? like all the problems I have with the gaming industry are kind of related to like problems with the world or the at least the country. Like I, I have you know stuff like that, like the the tribalism part. Like that's yes. a much bigger problem than gaming, but it's a it's a thing in gaming too. Sure, because you could point at like the whole Xbox PlayStation thing, and then there's sure. that in like the real world that side of gaming too. Yeah. Um. But I, I think it really would just be like what I talked about at the very beginning, which is just the reason I got into reviews is because I don't like how uh, I, I don't think you should ever call a game like trash you know or like that that game that that game's garbage right like dude somebody like worked on that and like when i review a game i try i try to find at least one thing that i love about it that's my goal even if it's a bad game and i have to give it like a three like i gave cooking mama a three out of out of ten uh the the new one that came out for the switch um and you know that hurts you never want to say that a game is a three out of ten but try to find at least one thing that you love about it that way you've gained something. It's not just a complete, like let's tear someone down and, or an entire team down or a game down or people who like that game down or, or anything like that. And I, I guess if I could change one thing, I would just try to, I would say, let's change the fact that people are so quick to take sides or overreact or uh, say something that's extreme. Right. And, and maybe treat situations with a little bit more nuance and a little bit more delicacy and try to find something positive in a game that, uh, has a lot of issues. I mean, I'm like, we, we talked about destiny earlier. Like I yeah. play that game every day and I have so many problems with that game. And I spend <laughs> most of my time when I'm talking about destiny, most of the time I'm complaining about it. Uh, and that doesn't mean it's a bad game. I think the developers know I love destiny. Otherwise I wouldn't be playing it every day, but I just wish I, I could change like, and this isn't just a, a, a fans thing. Some reviewers do it too. Or if, even if they're professional uh, up front, they'll they'll just tear down a game, or even before you see it. Do you do you remember that um that whatever Knights at Fallujah game, the the one yeah. that's made by like military vets? Yep, yep. yep. Like I, I saw lots of people that I like and admire, kind of like dunking on that game just based on its premise before they'd you know seen it or played it or anything like that. And I I get the instinct to do that because it's an extremely touchy topic, but mm-hmm. I just don't I don't really enjoy feeling like I'm a part of a uh, a space where that can happen where people can just like get the torches and the pitchforks yeah. and, and become a mob like so quickly um, before they've even had a chance to look at it. Or even if it is as bad as they're saying that reaction, I feel like is not helpful. And it, 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 it just teaches people that that's how you get your way or that's the right way to interact in this world. And I would say that it's not, it's like throwing a tantrum in a supermarket, you know, it's not, <laughs> I think the best way to engage. Um, yeah. And so yeah, if I if I could change one thing, it would just be that. I just wish people would would calm down a little bit and like take the time to treat people respectfully, even if they disagree, and and not be so uh, aggressive. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. No, I th- I think that's yeah, I think that's spot on, and and it ties a little bit back to what I was saying with how uh, a game can release, and you know, uh, there's a few bugs that jump out suddenly. Someone's posted a video on Twitter or YouTube about a guy falling through the ground or some weird bug, and all of a sudden the game's garbage and broken and everything else. And it's just Andromeda. Yeah. Say it again. That happened happened to Andromeda. Sure did. Sure did. That's a great example. Like that game is not as bad as people said it was. I mean, it's not as good as the original trilogy, but like the fact that 
if it doesn't hit that hugely high bar of being as good as the original Mass Effect trilogy, then it's immediately, you know, the yeah. the bottom of the barrel. That is kind of that's like a perfect example of what's wrong, right? Exactly. It's not it's, amazing. It's terrible. That's the only yes. two. It's hot or cold, right? Yep, exactly right. In fact, it's it's kind of funny because so I got early access. One of the uh, I want to say early on when with SG, one of the first games I got early access to was Andromeda. And you know how much I love Mass Effect. So I was super excited about it and I played it and I got like eight or nine hours in and you know, you start to get that sinking feeling like, oh, this this isn't giving me the same love as the trilogy, right? And I actually wrote an article, it's still on the site, called, it's just an opinion article, and it says, I'm worried about Mass Effect Andromeda. And I wrote it before the game came out. And it's funny because I nobody knew who I was, right, and, at the time. Um, and I got a lot of flack for that. Like, people were like, oh, you don't know, this is Mass Effect, it's going to be incredible, and all this stuff. And I was just like... Nobody wanted this to be incredible more than me, but you know, there's there's some concerns here you should be aware of. But I, I would love the the reason I bring that up is I would love to. I think I'm going to go back and read it to see if I handled it with that nuance. Do you know what I mean? Not to say yeah, like, oh, yeah, this yeah. is terrible, uh, but if I handled it with the nuance of saying, you know, here's what I was looking for, here's what it presents, type thing. Um, I'm gonna have to go see now because now I'm worried. If it's if it, no, if it's, no, I'm sure you're fine. I can tell just talking to you that like if you wrote it, you're not like. Also, though, just the name of the headline, I'm worried, is like a very responsible headline. Like if you said like <laughs> if you said like Mass Effect looks like it's gonna be crap, then I'd be like, okay, that's yeah. like you know extreme. But um, actually, your story reminded me of something that this was my first review for IGN. I won't I won't mention the game because it makes me sad but uh the first review i got for ign obviously yeah. i'm starting out so they give you like you know a game that may maybe we don't know if it's going to be good but it's sure. definitely not it's definitely not you know the yeah. the people that everybody are fighting to review that game like sure. you know people at the top of the list so i ended up getting this game and i wrote my review uh the game basically didn't run like it it was a really busted game had tons of glitches uh crashed on me all the time i had to actually replay it on a separate console uh okay. because because it didn't work and when i wrote my review i got death threats it was what? right yeah my first ign review actually every ign reviewer eventually gets death threats but i got it my first review which is like extremely uh Did you get I, don't, I don't know if I don't know if that's happened. Yeah. And I mean, I didn't get an award at the time, but I think people were like, wow, you're getting a uh, feet right in the fire. Welcome to the club guys. Uh, yeah. So I got death threats and it was, it was the year that the ESA lost all of our personal information. So oh, this yeah, guy had beautiful. my, this guy had my address. He was sending me like physical mail and like telling me he was going to kill me like all that stuff. Right. Wow. Um, yeah, I know. Like I said, I, I got like dove right into the deep end and um, uh Part of the reason that happened is because when I posted the review, the developer on their social channels basically said, like, this guy's just trying to get clicks. Like, our oh game is, is not this bad. And they sort of put a hit out on me. I, I don't know if that was their intention, but they basically did. They said some stuff that kind of, like, tried to point me out as the bad guy, like I was making it up. And so we ended up taking down the review. I replayed it on a separate platform that they claimed was a completely different experience. It still didn't work. And then I rewrote my review from scratch. I threw out all the old stuff and I rewrote it as if it was my first time playing it. Um, and it was still like, a, obviously not a, not a good game. It got a low score. Um, and the game came out 
And I saw a month later in the comments of a YouTube video that the developer put out, that same guy who sent me death threats was sending death threats to the developers because the game was so bad. <laughs> this guy, this guy was mad at me because his game couldn't possibly have been bad. He was so hyped for it. It couldn't be terrible. And I was just like this villain. And then when the game came out and it was bad, he completely forgot about me. I never got an apology, obviously. Right. And now he's sending death threats to the developers. So it's like, it's this twisted, vicious cycle where it just never, it never ends. It, it's so brutal. Um, so yeah, I, I don't think you're at, I don't think you have anything to worry about. When I talk about like the discourse being toxic, I'm talking about like the extremes. Yes. Like I'm okay with you dunking on a game. I dunk on games I love all the time, but <laughs> to just like, to try to like tear somebody down or hurt something, it, it's like a, it's malicious. It's, it's a very like um, just mean thing to do. It's mean spirited. And I, yeah. I don't think that the, the type of, um, you know, having a go at a game that, that, people like you and I do, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. As long as we know that there's a line and that, uh, you know, people care about it and opinions can differ and we respect sure. that about each other. I think it's fine. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, and it also comes from a place of experience, right? We're not just saying this out of thin air. It, yeah. It's based on a foundation, right? Which makes it very different. But I think you already said it is that the nature, sadly, for a percentage of the community is to pile on. Um, and it's just, it's very, you see that just with every, almost every release, um, you know, cyberpunk was probably the most recent kind of big profile example where the pylon on that game, even before released was crazy. Um, yeah. when, you know, some both of the sides kind of, too. Yes. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it was just a mess. It still is. I mean, you can't even have, it's hard to even have a rational conversation about cyberpunk, um, with someone you still can't buy it on PlayStation, which is crazy to me, which is nuts. Yeah. It doesn't even make sense. Does it like. It's, I mean, it's, I guess it doesn't run that well on because I think Xbox had the marketing deal. So I have to assume it runs better on Xbox consoles than on PlayStation. I don't own it on PlayStation, but yeah, the Series bad, X ran the best. I know. Yeah. But the PS5, I think, was pretty close. And then the PS4 version ran better. Oh, again, I'm going based on Digital Foundry. But yep. PS4 version ran better than the Xbox One base. Uh, oh, that, that doesn't understand. surprise me. But, no, yeah. I mean, that's usually the case, right? Mm -hmm. Um but I think from after these updates, uh, it sounds like it's at least fully playable. You know what I mean? It's not literally broken or any issue. So it, it's just crazy to me to see such a high profile game still not be on the store. Like, it's weird. I don't know. Yeah, I have Strange. no idea. Maybe just because they were getting so many refund requests. Maybe that maybe they maybe they lose money for every refund. That would get me to turn it off pretty quick. I have no idea. Maybe. Maybe. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Be fly on the wall in that conversation. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, man, I think, uh, you know, the last thing I want to touch on with you is really just uh, and you've kind of touched on this throughout the conversation, but your future plans. Uh, you, you've been writing for IGN, which is fantastic. So if I hadn't said it already, congrats on that, by the way, man. I mean, Thank that's, you. you know, there's so many people in the community, I think, that are aspiring to a career in the gaming industry, not as a developer, obviously, but covering it where they look at outlets like IGN as kind of the pinnacle. You know what I mean? That is you, you've kind of even getting in at a base level, it's still like you've hit the gold mine by being in such a big uh, outlet. Right. So Complete congrats. Luck. Yeah. 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 Which Complete is luck. just right place, right time. Like I, I feel guilty about it all the time. You know? oh, <laughs> so they wouldn't have hired you if uh, there wasn't something there. So, um, but I think, uh, you know, it's funny you say that because it right place, right time is the nature of a lot of things in life. You know, it's just, that's, that's true. What it is. That's true. <laughs> I've learned that Very through true, uh, yeah. good and bad. <laughs> 
Um, <clears throat> but what's next for you, man? I mean, you are uh, getting some experience there. And obviously, um, you know, at least to the people I speak to and having gotten to know you a little bit, uh, you know, well-respected, down-to-earth guy. Um, you know, it, it seems like, uh, you know, you can obviously progress to uh, bigger things. And, uh, you know, I mean, what do you have kind of your eye on here in the coming years? Yeah, I think the biggest thing I'm thinking about right now is just what what comes after Fireteam Chat uh, for me, just okay. because I'm not done talking about Destiny. Uh, and, <laughs> You're never done. Um, yeah, I'm never done. And uh, I, I don't really have, like, I, I'm not a streamer. Uh, I, I probably wouldn't want to be, but the idea of creating uh, content on YouTube uh, mm-hmm. is appealing to me. And so okay. I think I might, uh, I might look into that. I, I think clearly people want something. Like, they want a weekly... A destiny show and i've had a lot of fun uh doing fire team chat and other uh shows like the last word which mm-hmm. i cannot recommend enough like those guys are awesome yeah they're passionate uh, and I, they really are and th- that's how i met uh uh cog and yeah. and e and all them and and sort of became friends with that whole group um so yeah i, I think i continue to develop and hone my skills at ign i have a lot to learn to be honest um mm-hmm. Now that I've gotten my feet wet for the past two years doing reviews, I'm also starting to do uh, previews for Ryan McCafferty. Um, and I, I assume I will be involved in some of the E3 coverage this year. And Excellent. since it's all digital and all that. So yeah, um, yeah I'm going to continue to learn and grow and, and take the jobs that other people are afraid of at IGN <laughs> because I'm, I'm like the type of guy I'll jump on any game. Like if you tell me, and I, and I think I can do it a service. Like it's not so in the weeds that I'm just going to look foolish reviewing it. Like I'll, I'll try, I'll become an expert on something just for the review. Right. Um, and so I'm looking forward to doing that. And then, and then doing content creation on my own if I have to, you know, if, if Fireteam Chat is is going to be a, a less regular thing and, and I have things to say about Destiny, then I'm going to look into doing that. I have no idea how to do it. I don't know. I, I mean, I vaguely know how to start a YouTube channel and I know a little bit about video editing, but uh, I've got a long way to go. And so actually that's part of the reason I'm luring Destin over to my house. Uh, he's sort of a, <laughs> sort of a, he's a YouTube guru. And so I'm going to pick his brain on like how to get started with that. So uh, that's, Very that's cool. next for me, but I'm just going to keep plugging along. I, I love what I do. Um, and uh, looking forward to creating more content, talking about destiny and, and doing as much for IGN as they'll let me. So. Yeah. That's cool, man. That's cool. So I, uh, I wish you the best success. And uh, if I can help in any way, I am certainly no expert. But, uh, you know, the channel, we've had our channel out there for years now. And uh, I don't know, a few hundred videos and video editing and whatnot. So always happy. To so uh, that's a, an offer I will certainly take you up on because <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm out here trying my best, man. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, and there's, you know, again, like YouTube, very similar to the other conversations we were having is a uh, it, it's grown so much and there's so many people producing content now, right? It, yeah. It's, it's even harder to kind of stand out. So, um, uh, yeah, I wish you the best of luck, man. No, I, I always, we've only talked a few times, but I, I really, really enjoy it. And, uh, great hearing from you. I think you have great perspective, um, in the way you view things and, um, very grounded as well, which is, uh, it's just great. It's great to talk to people like yourself. So, I, uh, I thank you for coming on, man. It's been a real pleasure chatting with you today. Yeah. Next time we talk, we got to talk some more one, man. I have no one to talk to about that game. So. <laughs> I would love to. Yeah. Honestly, but I, I don't know how much I remember. Really? Yeah. I, the I last, probably I mean, remember way more than I should, but I bet you if we started talking about it, it would, it would yeah, maybe the surface. I bet maybe, you. Yeah. I, I'm really, really hoping. I know we already said this to each other, um, but I'm really hoping that Bethesda does something to kind of either bring Morrowind back or, you know, a rematch, just something 
yeah. uh, to kind of celebrate that game because Oblivion you can still go play and it's you know, it, it runs really well on modern. Uh, it has platform. aged like milk, though. Oblivion, though. Have you played that game? Like it is. So I that game. You don't. You, you don't remember, like Oblivion. I think we've talked about this. Yeah, yeah, Oblivion's my least favorite. Okay. Um, but it was a showcase for the 360 at the time when it released. It right. I still literally have my launch collector's edition. Um, so I loved it for that. But um, I thought Skyrim was a lot better than Oblivion, in my opinion. Um, but I thought Morrowind is much more kind of my type of RPG than Skyrim was. Yeah, I'm sort of I'm sort of with you. Like, I get why Skyrim is the most popular game because I think it has the most broad appeal and it does the most things correct out of yeah. out of like any of them or in a modern way at least. Sure. But I feel like it got progressively simplified. It Oblivion did. is sort of that awkward middle child where it still has some things that are really nerdy and like hardcore, but it's starting to get more mainstream. Yeah. And then Morrowind is just complete like laissez-faire. They don't tell you anything. Mm-hmm. Like you're just in the world and it's like figured out, man. So uh, well, I, I, I love games like that. RPGs that just don't treat you stupid. And they're just like, just figure it out. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, Put it go together, explore. man. You'll figure explore. it out. Yeah. I love games like that. So if I remember correctly, because again, I played Morrowind a ton on the OG Xbox. Me too. Okay, so yeah. but that was I my main, that was the main way I played it because I was a poor kid. I could not afford a PC. So I didn't have a PC at that time either. Not not one that could play games. Um, but I haven't played it a lot since then. So you're talking fifteen plus years. That's what I'm saying. I don't know how much I remember. But if I'm correct, I do remember. There's no fast travel. There is not. You have to you have to go and get to vendors and pay them. There's like these little remember the walkers? The yep. little Yeah, little I do. Yeah, there you dudes. go. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, and yeah. you had to you had to go and, and pay them to get around the map. And there were ways around it. Like you could you could create stuff that let you fly in that game. Yes. So you I could create I... your own magic. It was weird. Like it was it was so in-depth and and like it it took me. The reason I remember that game so well is because yeah. I played it on the OG Xbox and it probably ate up like two years of my life or it was like the only game I played. So like I remember everything about that game. Like yeah. I like even to this day, I haven't played it a ton since. I think I've started up a few times and been like, wow, this is old. Yes. Um, but but uh, I I still just have so many memories about that game. And, and anytime I bring it up, people are like, do you mean Skyrim? And I'm like, no, not <laughs> Skyrim, dude. Like the one is two before it. Nobody understands the game. So I just don't have anybody to talk to about it with. I think Skyrim too, um, you know, because the original Elder Scrolls games, especially Arena, Daggerfall, and, and to a lesser degree, Morrowind, were they were hardcore Western PC RPGs, right? I mean, they yeah. didn't really expand till the console space until Oblivion. Uh, I mean, Morrowind was on the OG Xbox, of course, but the OG Xbox wasn't a huge presence at the time either. Um, yep, it, it was Xbox basically was like a, Halo a trial box. run. It was a trial run. The the uh, and and also it ran terribly. I probably bought maybe thirty copies of Morrowind over the years, or not bought, but like got from my friends because they didn't last long. Like the the discs would break, the games would crash, you'd have to restart your file all the time. Like it was a mess on OG Xbox, but <laughs> it's just, you know what? I wanted to play the game. I found a way. I started yeah. the game over probably a million times. So I do remember finding, and I don't remember what they were called, but one of my PlayStations I found magic boots that made you run really fast. Yes. And as soon as I got those and you could just like run across towns and cities and stuff. I was like, this is the greatest thing ever. Like, literally, and also crash your game. 
Uh, probably did that yeah. too. Yeah, there's there they're the scrolls that you could get in uh in Morrowind where they let you jump. It would increase your jump by like ten thousand points, which like the max was like one hundred. So you could literally jump across the map just <laughs> using one scroll. But when you hit the ground on the other side, you would die. So then you have to <laughs> you have to find like a like I would just do it just to explore. Like I want to know what's in that map, so I'm just going to kill myself and reload right just to see yeah. what's over there. Um, but you can find ways to like gain damage resistance right before you hit the ground. And dude, it's such a weird game. It's, it's literally just the wild West of video games. Like everything is super like gloves are off, do what you want. It, it kind of reminds me of Minecraft in that way, which is probably why I love Minecraft. Yeah. Um, it's, so, yeah. it's like the developers just said, could we do this? And someone said, yeah, try it, see what happens. And they just kind of yeah. threw everything together and let yeah. it be its own thing. It's great. You know what it is? It's like, it's like the, the GTA five of like the RPG universe. It's sort of just like, <laughs> Yeah, whatever. You want to go on a killing spree? You want to you want to uh, experiment with magics, making items that make no sense whatsoever? Like, go ahead. You can just kind of combine different elements of magic and make yeah. magical items that make no sense. Uh, like, you could you could max out the radius of like a fireball to be like a mile, and so you could just kill an entire town with a fireball. <laughs> but you would have to have ridiculous levels of magicka to be able to do it. So yeah. like. You have to solve that problem. All right. So if I want to bomb this town and kill everyone in it at one blast, like how high would my stats need to be? And how do I do that? And it, dude, what a weird game. What a yeah. weird game. <laughs> so funny. Um, but yeah, man. <laughs> so we'll have to, uh, we'll have to talk more often for sure. Cause it's, uh, it's always fun chatting with you. So um, why don't you uh, tell people where they can find you nowadays, man? And uh, yeah, what you got coming up. You kind of mentioned at the beginning. So, but yeah, you know, where people can find you on social media and stuff. Yeah, I'm, I'm on Twitter at Travis. If you want to follow me there, uh, you can read my articles, uh, reviews, previews on IGN.com. I have a few going live today, a review and a preview, I think, of early this week at the latest. Um, and then uh, you can uh, watch me on Fireteam Chat, which uh, we're having our 300th episode, which is sort of the last episode of our weekly uh, new show version of it, um, which will be happening this Friday, uh, which... It's pretty huge milestone. So that's and then, Friday, you know, June, whatever else. Yeah, June fourth. Friday, June fourth. That's right. June fourth is the last episode. I think. I think our episode is going to be airing at five. It might go a little late because it's the three hundredth episode. So we're sure. doing some special stuff. <laughs> um, but yeah, it'll it'll be on uh, sometime this week, most likely. So sweet. Well, thanks again, man. Uh, it's been a lot Thank of fun. You. And uh, yeah, we'll definitely be talking more in the future. And uh, God, we've got a couple uh, big weeks ahead of us. I'm super excited now. I know. Yeah, I'm uh that Xbox uh press conference cannot come soon enough, man. That's no like adrenaline straight in my veins. So I'm very no excited. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. We hope let's all hope Starfield uh meets expectations. If it shows up, we'll see. Yes. Yeah, that's it kind great. of was in that it kind of was alluded to in that uh that image they released. It was kind of yeah. The, yeah, yeah, so. yeah, yeah. So I we'll but see. I mean, you know, we all everyone's kind of uh everyone's thoughts have gone immediately to fallout or Skyrim in space, right? It's just where your mind goes with Todd Howard's scene, but we don't know. Yeah. We have no idea what this thing is. So I feel like I know Todd Howard pretty well though. <laughs> I think fair. we know. I mean, I've seen true. so many like video documentaries with that guy. Like, I feel like I know what he's thinking about when he says we don't have a sci-fi RPG. Like I kind of, I have it in my head. So yeah. I'm really excited though. He's good at surprising people. That's true. Maybe it'll yeah. be more wind in space. 
please please (laughs) all right man well thanks again uh we'll be in touch and um that was industry perspectives travis north up thanks for tuning in as always we will see you in the coming weeks with some new guests coming soon talk to you then